0: Welcome to Grace Covenant Church, D.C. You're listening to our weekly sermon podcast. We hope that you enjoy this message. All right, turn with me over to the book of 1 Thessalonians. 1 Thessalonians. And today we're going to kind of do some, some uh, hangover from Thanksgiving, but blend it in to our segue into the Christmas season. We're going to look at 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. Verses 16 through 18 and Paul is writing to the church at Thessalonica trying to help them understand how to be most right. The title of the message is Thanksgiving the Will of God. Thanksgiving the Will of God. He says in verse 16, Rejoice always. Pray without ceasing. In everything, verse 18, give thanks for this is the will of God for you in Christ Jesus. Jesus. Lord, help as we study your word. What I'd like to do is build an on-ramp that will naturally bring you to the destination of Thanksgiving. It's one thing to discipline your soul, to say, I will be thankful even though I, I don't think there's a whole lot of stuff that's going so right in my life. That would prompt me to be thankful. I know I need to be because that's a spiritual thing. It's one thing to be disciplined and I'm happy about that. It's better to be disciplined than not. But it's a whole nother thing. When it just pops out of your soul, you don't even think about it. And that's the on-ramp that I'm going to try to build for you today. Paul went to Thessalonica in Acts chapter 17. And he had been to some neighboring cities and preached the gospel and had some degree of success. Though we would consider success differently than he did, he considered success that which advanced the will of God even if there wasn't much fruit. We would consider su- success a group of people that you could actually call a church afterwards. But he had gone, he'd gone to many cities and there wasn't, wasn't much fruit. Yet because the gospel is that which sometimes is planted, not just harvested, planting is, is really important to get to the harvest. And so Paul would consider himself successful if he just plowed, if he just planted, if he just watered all the processes to getting the harvest, but somebody's got to do that first stuff first. And here he is, ministering in different cities, and he comes to Thessalonica, and he preaches the gospel, uses the the standard operating procedure. That was akin to him. He would go into the synagogue and he would begin to minister to the Jewish people uh, that Jesus was actually the Messiah because they had the foundation upon which he could begin to, to identify about their Jewishness. And Jesus was Jewish. And the Messiah, they understood something about what the calling was to be, even though it may not have been as accurate as it should be. At least he had a platform. Saw some people get right there, fall in love with God. And there was a man named Jason who became the leader of the church in Thessalonica, and Jason was, was on fire for God so much so that he began a small group in his home. And he seemed to have some prominence in the city And that as a result of the church really beginning to take a foothold, some other people from other cities had come in really garnered by the people in the city of Thessalonica, meaning they asked them to come it seems and bear witness to the fact that these people who were now preaching about Jesus were not good. In fact, the quote is, these who have upset the entire world have come here also. That's what they said about these Christians, which then brought the city of Thessalonica into an uproar because the last thing they wanted is an upset city. And you say, well, wait a minute. Now, I mean, Jesus dying for for folk. Why would anybody be mad about that? Somebody loves you that much? Who would... Who would be antagonistic with that? Well, there were some re- repercussions if you served Jesus. You got rid of your idols. See, in every city, it was, a, it was a pretty big industry to carve idols. Either to fashion them out of gold and silver by smelting or may, make them out of wood or stone. And people would go If one of their idols broken, they buy a new one. Or if they found a new God that they wanted to talk about or talk to, they go and get a new idol. The idol business was booming in Rome, all of the Roman Empire. When these Christians came to town, nobody was buying idols anymore. God, 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 God will get it your, your pocketbook. He'll begin to put his finger on stuff. And in the Roman Empire, he's saying, Chamber of Commerce, you're making your money off idolatry. Mm-mm, no more. Well, Chamber of Commerce didn't like that. And so they would come against these Christians, whoo, not because they were spiritual, but because they were losing money. And so they took Jason and said, you need to stop all this foolishness. And Jason said, I'm not going to do it for the most part. We don't have the conversation, but this is the tenor of the moment. And as a result... They they imprisoned him and made him pay a bribe to get out. This was the birthing of the church at Thessalonica. We think trouble in the church, meaning people in the church, think trouble coming from the outside is foreign. It's unusual. It's not normal. It's 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 that which we need to be super concerned about. Oh oh no, somebody's trying to attack the church. Are you kidding me? That's our inheritance. That's nothing about which we need to be concerned. I was talking with some pastors one day who were concerned about what folk were saying on, about them on the internet in their church. And I, I said, well, did you all do anything wrong? I mean, did you sin in some way? Did you, did you mess up in a, in a way that was you need, you need to repent? He said, no. So you, you were doing all right. Yeah, we did everything right but they're talking about it's bad on the internet. So we got to call Google and figure out how we can get our good comments to come up first rather than the bad ones. I said, so you're trying to avoid persecution? Now, I'm not one to run headlong into trouble just because I want to feel pain and identify with Jesus in it. I don't do that. But when it comes, I don't know that we should shy away from it. I don't know that we should avoid it. Jesus said, blessed are you when men who persecute you and say all kinds of evil about you. Your reward is great in heaven. You're like the prophets of old. Jesus didn't shy away from it. This was the church at Thessalonica. Thus, this brings me to the point, point one in the sermon. Rejoice always. There's no reason to tell people to rejoice always if there isn't a reason to rejoice. Rejoice. If there are reasons naturally to rejoice, you ain't got to tell nobody. Publishers Clearinghouse shows up at your house. Even atheists say hallelujah. $5,000 a week coming to your house. (laughs) Rejoicing just happens naturally. But you have to tell people to rejoice always when when there are limited reasons to do so. This is why Paul at the end of his letter is reminding the Thessalonians, Thessalonians, make sure you understand the basics of your Christianity. Don't swerve away from your moorings. Let's get back to what's really important, rejoice always. Now, he's not trying to say, just put on a happy face when things are going bad. He's trying to get at the core of why in the world they need to rejoice. Rejoicing is that which brings great benefit to the Christian because it ascribes glory to God in areas where most people think he's negligent. The passage over in Isaiah 61, which Jesus quoted at the beginning of his ministry, talks about what the Messiah was to do, the anointed one, the one who was to come and to fix all things. He said, the spirit of the Lord is upon me, and He has anointed me to preach his gospel, this good news to the poor, to set the, the captives free, to release those who are oppressed, and to bring sight to the blind. Oh, those, those are huge things. Jesus talked about those things when he read this passage of scripture to begin his ministry. And it says after he finished reading the passage, he sat down in the synagogue. Now, there in Luke, when he read this passage, we have the reading of it. We don't have the entire chapter. We just have a couple of verses. But we believe that he probably read the entire chapter because all of it was about him. And it says when he sat down, he said to everybody else in the room, today the scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. Now, if you look back at Isaiah 61, which you quoted, You'll see the first two verses are pretty much what we have in Luke 5. But the next few verses are just as important as the first few. I mean, when we think about our Christianity, all of us love the idea that he came to set us free from our bondage. He forgave us for our sin. He heals our soul. He redeems our life He helps our body. Those are the big rungs that we cling to, grab on, as we are trying to climb the ladder to figure out how we can be most right. We don't want to miss any of those rungs. But there are other things there in that passage that we seem to to neglect because we think those are the biggest benefits from the cross. Verse 3 says this. If you are in mourning, I come to give you the oil of joy. This is one of the main benefits of the Messiah. That when you are in your deepest state of depression, when your soul is so leveled because you lost somebody very dear to you and there is no deeper dark than when you lose a loved one. You miss them. You want them around. They meant something to you. When you are at that spot and oil, we're not talking about Crisco. No, no, no. What he's saying is I'm going to give you perfume. I'm going, to, I'm going to pour things on you that make you smell really good to everybody else. Because the atmosphere that I'm building in your life is one of hope, not despair. And in the midst of your mourning, I am going to give you joy. If you happen to be in the, in the state of depression, he says, I'm going to give you the garland of praise for the spirit of heaviness. Spirit of heaviness is that depression. You may not have lost anybody, but you may have lost something your mind, you might have lost hope, something didn't go right as you thought it should, things aren't happening in your life in sequence, you're missing out on opportunities, people seem to be progressing faster than you. There are lots of reasons to be discouraged in this world. In fact, more to be discouraged about than there are to be encouraged. Every once in a while, something happens on the planet that makes you smile. Most of the time you got to go again, because everything in this world is going contrary to the will of God. Every day you got to get up and overcome whatever's trying to overcome you. If you don't decide you're going to overcome today, you will be overcome, overcome by bad thoughts. Overcome by emotions, overcome by skepticism, doubt, and unbelief. If you don't come on the offensive every morning, you will be overcome by the atmosphere that the world is creating in order to stop you from doing the will of God. It's going the wrong way. You're going the right way. But the right way feels like the wrong way because there is so much opposition. Everything is coming at you, and they're coming to try to stop you from going the direction in which you're going. You ever ever seen those movies when the chase scene is like about 20 minutes long, like Fast and Furious? It's it's actually, that's an hour and a half chase scene. But they're driving it. And then somebody makes a U-turn. And there's a median in the road. And they make a U-turn at this little spot. And now they choose to go in the opposite direction on the other side of the road. Every time I see that, I said, that's me. That's Christians. We make a U-turn. We're not going in the direction of the world anymore. We choose to go the opposite direction. But every time we go opposite, we have obstacles that we have to dodge. And they, they aren't stationary. They are actually trying to kill us. They're trying to deter us. They're trying to take us out. And so I'm sitting there, Lord, help. That is my entire life. Because I can't sit here. I can't sit there being stagnant and and watch it come to me. I'm still trying to make progress. And it's trying to progress against me. The world is backwards. And it's doing everything it possibly can to discourage you every day. To make you believe God is not with you. He's not for you. And there's no point in trying to go on. Don't press. You're going to have the same level of failure you had yesterday. What's the point? I mean, yeah, he might listen to Pastor Don, but not you. It's not going to happen for you. No, no, no. You're not a pastor. You're not a minister. You're just just an employee in a company. Why in the world would he be concerned about you? You're no threat to me. Let it go. He may not say that exact thing, but those feelings come. What are you going to do when it happens? If you let discouragement camp out of your front door, you let him come to your porch, he has friends. Despondency, despair, hopelessness, depression. God said, I'm going to give you the garland of praise for the spirit of heaviness. There are a lot of different remedies to help people think most right and make sure they don't go down the road whereby you... You have to have a lot of other people to help you. And I'm not in any way upset about anybody who has to sit on a couch and talk to somebody who's, their their, their medical degree starts with silent P's. Psychiatrists and psychologists. I ain't mad about that. In fact, we refer people to them in our church. Our job is to disciple. Our job is to train. Our job is to help. But we are more like a triage when it comes to the hospital side. We aren't aren't long-term therapy. So we're trying to fix people in a hurry, get them as well as possible, and and then get them out of the hospital. There are those people that need ongoing care. I get it. And I ain't mad at you. I love the profession. I'm glad it's out there to help people. And if you're on medication, keep taking it. But I want you to know there are some other remedies. I'm not saying in place of. I'm saying in addition to. Jesus said, just like I I came to save you, I came to heal your soul. You can't make any distinction from verse 1 through verse 3 in in what the Messiah's anointing was to do what he's supposed to do. Is it more more powerful to deliver somebody from from the oppressive state in which they find themselves than it is to take them out of the depression in which they sunk? Which 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 is more of a miracle. They're equal and they are equal in benefit and responsibility and that God comes to do that for you. And we cycle on these primary things of being delivered and and set free from oppression. And our eyes we cycle on those and they're great. Please get as much benefit from the first two verses as you possibly can. But I beg you, don't neglect number three. Because this is the only way you can with integrity rejoice always. It's not about just you ignoring your circumstances. It's about knowing how to receive what God has has given as a benefit to you to help your soul be healthy. And what does rejoicing do? It lets you get happy about the hard while you're in the hard. Because you know your God has provided for you in the past. He cares about you. He loves you. And he's either going to deliver you from or he's going to take you through. But either way, you are gonna wind up on the other side of this. So if you know that's the case, that your God is faithful like that, why are you going to trip now? You know what's going to happen in the end. You can read. You've read the, the end of this story. So rejoice in the middle of the heart. Rejoice always, not just when Publishers Clearinghouse shows up. Rejoice when you do not have enough money for your month. Rejoice now. Are you listening to me? He's talking to a church that's going through difficulty. The whole community hates them. He says rejoice now. When I was, when I was growing up and for years prior to my growing up, I got a lot of relatives in New Orleans. And uh, Although I've never been to a, a funeral in, uh, in New Orleans, I've watched them and I've heard my relatives talk about them. I never could figure it out. Folks have bands at funerals, and they, they dance down the street in New Orleans for a funeral procession. We have hearses, and and, and flashing lights on cars. And there's no there's no happiness at a funeral. We're, we're in the midst of mourning. I mean, it's just, and in New Orleans, they have a band, a marching band. I'm not talking about a band that sits on a stage, a marching band. And, 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 and people who were close to the loved one they lost out there dancing in the street. And I talked to Mama. I said, Mama, what are they doing? Why in the world are they so happy? They, somebody who, who they love just died. Are you, this, this seems not right. She said, Baby, they know something. They know something. Now, I don't know if it's cultural and traditional now, but somebody at some point thought this about that. Thought, boy, I'm not going to mourn like those who have no hope. I'm not going to do that because I know that in the midst of my pain, there's a rejoicing that though I miss my loved one, my loved one ain't missing me. Mm -mm, They happy as they can be right now they all with Jesus they out of this world they ain't struggling no more they are happy as they can be more happy than they were ever here so why am i tripping i mean i know i love them but i have to mourn like somebody who's got hope not only in, in the hope of where they are but the hope of where i can be when that happens to me because listen to me if you are privileged to live long enough you will have reason to mourn somebody close to you is going to go on before you You need to apply this remedy to your life, not ignoring the pain, not beginning to to think, think, oh, that's not proper to cry. No. You rejoice through the tears. You allow the remedy that Christ comes to, to give. I come to give the oil of gladness to those who mourn. It's a benefit. Now, if you begin to rejoice like that, boy, your perspective changes on life all the time. Because you are, you are constantly rejoicing when everybody thinks you need to be crying. When everybody thinks you ought to be really discouraged right now. You just got fired for unjust reasons. They're lying on you over there. And you're, you're going to church and you're going to give an offering and praise God? Are you kidding me? Why? You ought to be mad at somebody. Mm-mm, my God's got this. I know it. He had, I'm not out of his hands. He's got me the whole time. He's got me. Secondly, he says, make sure you pray without ceasing. This doesn't mean that you need to talk more. It means you need to to commune more. That prayer is about, as you've been taught well by Pastor Don, prayer is about relationship with God, not about you talking to him about what you need. That doesn't mean that you shouldn't talk to him about what you need. But when you do so, please understand, you're not giving him new information. Omniscient means he knows everything, beginning from end. He knows what you're going to say before you say it. So you're not informing him about stuff he doesn't know. And you aren't a very good conversationalist. I mean, it's not like God is looking for your company. To try to figure out, oh, I need somebody to talk to. Please, fellowship with me. He's in no need. And if he was, I doubt whether he would ask Brett to be his company. Much smarter people than me could have greater fellowship with God if he was just looking for intellectual stimulus. The reason he calls us to be in prayer is for relationship. It's not to talk to him. And we spend a lot of time talking to him. Not bad. It just needs to be put in perspective. Do you know anybody in um, your world who, like, talks a lot? No? Or maybe it's you. (laughs) Everybody else looking at you saying, you don't want to talk a lot. You know that person says, can I have a minute of your time? And you know it's not a minute. It's 20 And they think they're having a conversation with you. But it's a monologue. And you have not gotten a word in edgewise. And you realize you never will. And you're sitting there smiling. Uh, 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 And you're trying to be polite. But you say, Lord, deliver me from this moment. (laughs) Deliver, please. This is killing me. It's killing me. So all of us know about those people, right? And when we see them coming from a distance, what do we do? (laughs) Run, hide. We do everything we can to try to avoid it because we realize, oh, this is going to kill me today. I just can't do it. But this is what most of us sound like when we come to God. Oh, here he comes again. He He thinks it's a dialogue. He thinks we're conversing. But all he's doing is talking. Prayer is about being in constant fellowship with the Father. Unbroken communion with him all day long. All the time, not always talking, mostly listening, mostly keeping your finger on the pulse of what God wants to do in your life and what he wants you to do for others. Constantly allowing him to, be, to, to direct and redirect your life in the way it should go, unbroken fellowship with the Father. And what it does is that it allows you to understand how much he is really with you. It's not that he changes his posture of being with you because he is with you even when you don't recognize it. But now when you are constantly getting your mind on him with respect to prayer and fellowship, you realize he's with me now. He's with me in my chemistry class. He's with me in my occupation. He's with me at my home. He's with me with my my kids' soccer team. He is with me every moment. And he's trying to communicate with me on a regular basis so that I don't do stupid. Because stupid is that from which you need to overcome. And it's hard to overcome stupid. God can do it. He forgives you for stupid. And you you can, but the the road back is not as easy as the road going out. The road going out to stupid was really quick. But it's a longer road coming back. A lot of people you got to apologize to, restitution to make, recovery in your own soul. Got to get rid of the guilt, the condemnation. Mm, The road back is a lot longer. Just ask Solomon. Solomon had a good 20. I mean, his first 20 were phenomenal. That's where he wrote most of of Proverbs. First 20 years. Stunning. Stunning. Wisest man on the planet. Second 20, not so much. He erred. Did a lot of things wrong. Worshipped at the wrong places. Didn't regard God much. Didn't listen to what the ramifications would be to someone who violated the the boundaries for what a king should do, he just messed up about in every way. God brought adversaries into his life as a result. At the end of his life, he thought he would begin to chronicle again. And so he wrote the book of Ecclesiastes. We believe Solomon wrote Ecclesiastes. You read Ecclesiastes and you read Proverbs and you think, these two ain't the same dude. What happened to you, dude? What in the... Your mind just got blown. I mean, were you on drugs? What did you smoke? Ecclesiastes doesn't sound anything like Proverbs. Proverbs has so much hope. Ecclesiastes, the, the, the tenor of the book, is this. What's the point? Life is vanity. It's all chasing after the wind. Nothing matters. It's all pointless. That's Ecclesiastes. Every once in a while, you get a little nugget of truth in there. But for the most part, that's the overarching feel of the book, which sounds nothing. My point is this. And he wrote Ecclesiastes and entitled it. You know what Ecclesiastes means? The preacher. When you read Proverbs, there is there's no title author. It just says Proverbs. But when you lose So much stuff that your credibility is marred. Now you got to print up business cards to tell people who you are. It's no longer your character that commends you. Now you have to let people know. Oh, I'm the preacher. Because he lost everything he had. The road back is a lot longer than it was going out when you do stupid. And I'm begging you, don't do stupid. Stay away from sin. Live right. If you stay in the fellowship of the Holy Spirit, he'll keep you from doing stupid. And write your heart, not W-R-I-T-E, but R-I-G-H-T. Write your heart so that between the rejoicing you do on a regular basis, nonstop, and prayer, you find yourself in a place whereby Thanksgiving just flows like a fountain you just you just can't stop it it's it's the next thing you do because you realize what God has done for you how he has delivered you you're rejoicing in the middle of your difficulty and you are finding a place of fellowship that is unbroken and you realize this in the middle of all that why in the world would you ever think that I was I was the kind of person you would do this for in terms of benefiting And you'd want to hang around. God, you're amazing. Psalm 8, what is man, what is breath that you would take thought of him? Or the son of man that you would be mindful of? Why, why me do you want to fellowship with? Wow, amazing is our God, which then leads you to the, thank you. Thank you. Thank you for being who you are to me. There's nobody who treats me like you. You always treat me better than I deserve. You are amazing, my God. And what this does is it allows you to give thanks in everything, not necessarily for everything. There's a lot of stuff I wish never happened. But I thanked him in it. Lord, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I'm not going to fear because you, are with me there is a common denominator that is least to which we all need to come that the presence of God is something we need to be grateful for and if he never does another thing what he's done to produce that in our life is enough when things aren't going very well for me I get up in the morning and I I calibrate my soul as I close by saying this well Brett at least you ain't going to hell thank you my brother appreciate that my God cared about me enough to send his son to die for me even though my life may not be the way I want I'm never going to question his goodness to me And I don't need him to do anything else for my soul to be grateful. Nothing. If he never does another thing for me, if my life is one long string of disappointments, he's done enough. Because I'm not going to hell. Which allows me the privilege of getting up every day and being thankful. Every day, riding my soul with rejoicing, even though things aren't well. Every day, fellowshipping with him, realizing that the God of the universe, who's got much bigger and better things to do than to hang around bread, chooses to fellowship with me. Grateful am I because the way all that happened is that somebody died for me. I couldn't have his fellowship had not somebody paid the penalty for my sin because my sin would keep me away from him. But he, he knew I couldn't fix it, so he sent the remedy for my life. Oh, 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 oh Jesus, thank you. Thank you. Let's pray. Father in heaven, I'm grateful for your goodness. I'm begging that you would help us as a people to write ourselves regularly. some people who realize they haven't been rejoicing in all things and they've neglected to spend time with the Father and they're only thankful when the obvious good thing happens to them the next thing that answers their prayers and requests I want to give you an opportunity this morning to repent for basing your life on the circumstances rather than on the God who controls them and if that's you just quietly pray with me say father forgive me I want to rejoice always because I know that you've got me in your hands So don't let the circumstances of life begin to dictate the condition of my soul. Help me to see you in the middle of my junk and be grateful for how you're caring for me. I choose to fellowship with you regularly, to stay in unbroken communion with you help me to pray without ceasing and Lord let my soul reflect gratefulness every moment of every day because I would not be able to breathe without you through you I live and move and have my being To say amen. Love your church. Thanks for listening. To learn more about our church or to watch video sermons, visit gracecovdc.org.